right. Last Sunday of the 2020 Vision Series, we're going through our vision statement that we share with uh, four other mission gatherings across the country. We exist to be a growing community of Christ followers, growing in faith, living whole lives, seeking justice for the good of our neighbors. And we talked about growing in faith, living whole lives, and what seeking justice means the past three weeks. Today, we're talking about what it means to be a Christ follower. What comes to mind when you hear the word Christian? No right or wrong answer, good or bad, positive or negative. Just what comes to mind based on your experience when you hear the word Christian? Judgmental. What else? So that's another question. What do you think other people think of when they hear Christian? Yeah, what do you, what do you think that they might assume about you if you tell them they're Christian? Depends on if they're Christian. Yeah. yeah. Egotistical? I think it's when people use new clothes. New clothes. New clothes. People would wear new clothes. Like if the last like preach- I worked at, they all had new clothes all the time. That's interesting. Like preachers and sneakers. Have you seen that Instagram yeah. account? <laughs> These are my Gucci shoes. They cost about $15 at Old Navy. You saw my Tesla out front? I tried to hide it, but I guess you saw it. <laughs> it's red, and it says preacher on the license plate. <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of assumptions about what it means to be a Christian or what, when someone says they're a Christian. There's kind of a broad range of what that could mean they could be this kind of Christian over here or they could be on the opposite end of the spectrum of this kind of Christian and you don't really know based on that label Christian but Christians do have a reputation of being judgmental or intolerant of other uh, cultures and other religions um, I had some friends who were restaurant servers and they told me that they dread working on Sunday afternoons because Christians are uh, the worst tippers and incredibly rude. Um, this is a picture of a pastor who was had a meal um, with some church members in St. Louis a few years ago. And, you know, if you have a party of six or more, they do an 18% gratuity. And this pastor said, I give God 10%. Why do you get 18? And put no, crossed out the 18% tip and put no additional tip. Um, Others have said that sometimes Christians will leave the fake, like, $20 bills on the table for a tip, and they pick it up, and it's a tract, which is a piece of paper that says, you need to repent and accept Jesus as your Savior, or you're going to hell, (laughs) hidden into a fake uh, tip. Some Christians also have a different view of people in poverty. There is a study done by Kaiser Family Foundation in 2017 that found that Christians were more than twice as likely to say that poverty is a result of a person's individual failing, that they were lazy or in sin, and that was why they are in poverty. Al Mohler is a president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He said there's a strong Christian impulse to understand poverty as deeply rooted in morality. Often, as the Bible makes clear, he says, an, an unwillingness to work, 
in bad financial decisions or in broken family structures. The Christian worldview is saying that poverty is due to sin. Christians today have a reputation, sadly, for looking down on the poor. Um, for at least some Christians, not all Christians, um, Southern Baptist is my roots and ha- how I grew up. And there was this mentality of um, people need to pick themselves up by their bootstraps. You know, if you're poor, it's because you're not working hard enough. It's because you're not making the connections that you need to make. It's because you're um, maybe there's some sin uh, in your life that's causing you to be poor. Um, Christians today hold more wealth than any other group in the world. I think it's around 55% of the world's wealth. Um, I want to compare that view of poverty to a view that was held in the early church in the first century. And this is a quote by a guy by the name of Justin Martyr. He was born around 100 uh, AD CE. Um, He was known as the first Christian philosopher. We get a lot of our understanding of the early church's theology and how they understood God and how they lived life together from his writings. He said, we who formerly valued above all things the acquisition of wealth and possessions now bring what we have into a common stock and communicate to everyone in need. We who hated and destroyed one another and on account of their different manners would not live with men of a different tribe. Now, since the coming of Christ, live familiarly with them and pray for our enemies." They had a reputation for um, attracting both the very poor and sick and marginalized of society and also the very wealthy of society. And they had a reputation for spreading that wealth to make sure the poorest of the poor were taken care of because they understood or they had some mentality that uh, based on what Christ did in his life and his teachings, that being poor is, or sick is not a result of sin in your life. And he has a story of healing people who are uh, poor and sick, um, who are understood of as, well, their parents must have been in sin. And so this, they were born with this disability or this sickness. And Jesus said, no, we need to change how we think that way. And so... The first Christians, early church, had a reputation by the Romans, and it was not a good reputation. And it was not because of the way Christians believed, because the Romans were pretty open and inclusive of a lot of religions. The Romans had a problem with Christians because they seemed to be reordering society. They gave power and privilege and value to women and children and uh, minorities and the poor and the sick. And the Romans did have an issue with that. They were almost restructuring the social order, this Christian community. And they had a reputation for being followers of the way. And so what way did they follow? Um, There is an early Christian text from late 1st century, early 2nd century called the Didache, and it was kind of an instruction manual for early Christians for how they should live their lives. And it says there are two ways, one of life, one of death, but a great difference between these two ways. The way of life is this. First, you shall love God who made you. Second, 
love your neighbor as yourself, and do not do to another what you would not want done to you. This reminds me of some other similar ways that we see even before the time of Jesus. Let's go back to uh, the Baha'i faith. Lay not on any soul a load that you would not wish to be laid upon you, and desire not for anyone the things you would not desire for yourself. Buddhism from the 6th century B.C. before Jesus, hurt not others with that which pains yourself. If it hurts you, don't do it to others. Hinduism from the 4th century, 400 years before Jesus, do not to others which if done to thee would cause thee pain. Native American spirituality, this is from the Squamish tribe here from Chief Seattle. Humankind and not woven the web of life, we are at one thread in it. Whatever we do to the web, we do to ourselves. And then you have Christ. And everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. A story from Luke. One occasion, an expert, religious expert in the law, stood up to test Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, what is written in the law? How do you read it? The expert answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. There's two, two paths that we can take in life. One path is the way of loving God and loving others as ourselves. The other path is anything that is not loving others as yourself. One leads to life and the other one leads to death, to destruction. And this wasn't unique to Jesus. We have the Buddha and Hinduism saying this four to six hundred years before Jesus. Justin Martyr understood, recognized some of these philosophies of other people and religions that looked like Jesus. And Justin the Martyr said, what we find in John 1, that there is a logos, there is a wisdom that permeates all of creation. And John 1 says that wisdom is Christ. So Justin Martyr took that idea and said, well, Christ must not be only a person, but must be this divine wisdom that permeates all of the universe. This divine wisdom that can connect with people before Jesus was even here, that maybe God was moving through people before Jesus lived. <laughs> Novel idea. And so Justin Martyr said, even claimed that maybe Plato and Socrates were Christians before Christ because they had this ethic of how we need to treat others as ourself. So how did early Christians define themselves? They define themselves by that way of life. Diana Butler Bass is a uh, PhD and expert in church history. She said, early Christians insisted that love, not rationality or politics or even virtue, was the primary bond between God and human beings. So love is the goal. That's what defined the early church. That's what defines a Christian. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with every part of you. While love is the goal, that's not always been the Christian reputation, has it? 
we have been often more focused on converting people to believe like we believe rather than loving people for who they are. 1878, on the floor of the U.S. Senate, Aaron Sargent rolled out a plan to prevent Asian immigrants from coming to the United States. And his rationale for this plan was that the Asian customs, way of life, and religion were not compatible with um, our white Christianity here in the United States. And so his plan includes sending missionaries to China, convert them, and change their lifestyle to more of the American way, and then they should be allowed to come to the United States. That colonialism was tied to Christianity. Christianity means being white and being American and looking like us and living like us. Over time, Christianity evolved into very much of a, at least in the West, um, white American culture. And it was that same time, 1878, when uh, the political leaders in Seattle area um, moved Native Americans off the land into reservations. And they enacted a law that said Native Americans are not allowed to live inside Seattle. Part of it was tied to Christianity. Jesus did not send us into the world to make believers. Jesus sent us into the world to make disciples. That's what he says in Matthew. A disciple, the Greek word literally means a student. We were sent into the world to make students. Students of what? Students of the way of Jesus, not students of a belief system, students of the way. What way? Love. (laughs) Love your neighbor as yourself. Right after Jesus told this expert in religious law um, that you're right, this is the way, this is the most important thing you got to do, the man asks, who's my neighbor? And that's when Jesus tells a story of the Good Samaritan. And the theme of that story is this, that your neighbor is the last person you would want to help. (laughs) The last person. Your neighbor is your enemy. Your neighbor is the other. And that is what it means to be a follower of the way. That's what it means to be Christian. It means to do what Jesus did. There is a concept... That's from the, um, oh gosh, we have all of these sayings of doctrinal statements of what it means, what you have to believe to be a Christian. And one of them says that Jesus was born a virgin, and then there's a comma, and then he said he was tried under Pontius Pilate, crucified. And that comma is called the great comma. Because they summed up all of Jesus' life and his teachings and all of his interactions with people in that comma. He was born a virgin and he died, Pontius Pilate, and was raised to life. Because 
over time, what became most important for Christians is the part that he died for our sins. And they condensed everything else into a comma, the great comma. There's been a movement of Christians throughout history to go back and spread that comma out. What Jesus taught us to do is to do what he did. And we have to look at those stories of how Jesus treated people, what he taught to understand how we're supposed to live. Paul wrote a letter to church in Corinth and said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Being a Christian means you imitate Christ. Like a child imitates a parent. This is what it means to be a Christian. You imitate. Whatever Christ does, you do. For those of you who will be listening online, it's a picture of a dad and a son. They both have a little bit of their butt crack showing. Oh, popsicle. Sickle. Popsicle. Pop. <laughs> can you, yep, can you say pop? Pop. Sickle. Sickle. Popsicle. <laughs> That's what it means to be a Christian. Jesus is doing something one way. We, as his followers, his students, are supposed to mimic what Jesus does, how he treats people, how he loves. We don't always get it right. Jesus says popsicle, and we say blah, blah. <laughs> but that's the goal, is to try to do what Jesus did. John, Jesus says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, my students, if you have love for one another. That's how people will know. Tertullian, who is another early Christian in the second century, said, it is our care of the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of our many opponents. Only look, they say, look how they love one another. That was what they were known for. Their brand was love. What would it look like if Christianity's brand today was love? And that's all we were known for. Lucian was a pagan critic of Christianity. He had a lot of problems with Christians, the way they were kind of upending the social order. And he had a, a prisoner, and uh, he noticed how the Christians were coming and bringing food and things to this prisoner and taking care of him. And Lucian said, it's unbelievable. They literally spare nothing. This was such a unique idea for a religion in the first century to care for the poor and helpless. And it was the Christians um, in the first couple hundred years who started the first hospitals when uh, plague disease came through Rome and just wiped people out. It was the Christians on the front lines who were dressing the wounds and taking care of people because they, this is what Jesus did. So this is what we're supposed to do. <laughs> it's a simple concept. 313 is when Constantine, the emperor of Rome, converted to Christianity and the, the religion of the empire became Christian. That is when we start to see some change. We start to see that Christianity was tied to the state and tied to wealth and tied to the idea of politics and growing an empire. So what do you do to grow an empire? You need to convert people to your way of thinking and your way of life. 
Um, it's this time when Constantine started putting bishops in place and leaders in church and started building cathedrals. And it's that time period around 400 when we have a problem with bishops of the church um, stealing offerings from the church for um, justifying their lavish lifestyles. It was the preachers and sneakers of the fifth century, basically. And it was after Constantine that we start to see all of these issues with the church. And there has been a movement of Christians throughout history. In the first few hundred years, it was called the Desert Fathers and Mothers because they thought, I don't, this doesn't make sense. The way that we're attaching Jesus to all of this power and wealth and military might, this isn't what Jesus taught. And so they escaped to the desert and, we, and they had monastic communities. It's where we get a lot of our Christian mysticism and Desert Fathers and Mothers and this idea of people going back to what did Jesus teach? And how do we do that? And that's what we're trying to do today. We're a community of people trying to figure out what does it actually mean in 2020 on the east side of Seattle to live the way Jesus lived and treat people the way Jesus treated people. Matthew 25, Jesus said, I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. And this was kind of a defining teaching of followers of Jesus that whoever we give food to is as if we are giving food to Jesus Christ. And so whoever we are not giving food to who is hungry, we are not, it's like we are denying a hungry Jesus is food. And this is how they uh, tried to live out their lives in the early church. A few years ago, I think it was 2017, Time Magazine came out with an issue that was 240 reasons to celebrate America right now. And number 77 was none other than the lowly Waffle House as a reason to celebrate America. There's a guy, Daniel Hum, he was the owner of a New York restaurant called 11 Madison Park. It's one of the high-end uh, one of the supposed to be one of the best restaurants in the world and one of the most expensive. And Daniel said uh, this about Waffle House, there's no ego, there's no pretension. It's welcoming to all. He said it was a reminder of how important hospitality is. We just felt so taken care of. The early church had a reputation for their hospitality. Christians, churches should be more like Waffle Houses, open 24-7 known for hospitality, known for their humility. Maybe we should go to Waffle House for lunch today. <laughs> I haven't been to a Waffle House since I was a kid. There's something about them that is, uh, they, no ego, no pretension. They were known for their radical hospitality. Several years ago, Two researchers at the University of British Columbia tested whether short conversations with strangers could had any effect on our mood. Um, have you all heard of the Seattle freeze? We kind of experienced this in, in several ways when we first moved here. Um, in the South, where we're from, there's the Southern hospitality. You walk into store and um, you will get the huge smile from this complete stranger and say, hi, how you doing? Just like that. 
You walk into the store here, most people have their head down and try to avoid eye contact. Seattle freeze. And so these uh, researchers wanted to test whether these small interactions have any effect on us. And so the participants would enter a busy coffee shop, a Starbucks, they'd grab a beverage, and they'd get in and get out. And then the other half of the group would go in, grab a beverage, and actually initiate a conversation with the cashier or the barista. And the people who turned this um, economic transaction into a social exchange left the store with a greater sense of belonging in their community. And they were in a better mood. And another researcher led some experiments on a train uh, and bus commuters and how they interacted with passengers. And the group that started conversations or interactions with strangers had a better mood throughout the day. And they felt a greater belonging in their community. It seems like such a tiny, minuscule thing to show kindness and politeness to strangers. But it is a profoundly spiritual act of worship that defines followers of Jesus. That I should not be the one, while I am so often guilty, it is hard and uncomfortable for me to talk to strangers I, as a follower of Christ, should be the one to look a cashier in the eye and say, hey, has your day been okay? No, I hope it gets better. I'll be thinking of you today. It should be the followers of Christ who are the ones who show radical, radical hospitality, who melt the Seattle freeze. 70% of the United States are Christians. 50% of Seattle area identify as Christians. This should be a nicer place. And it's not an end in itself. Radical hospitality, moments of simple attention and eye contact and kindness are the very starting points of relationship, of love. When you start with that, then you lead into being investing in someone's life. And that's when you get into all of the complexities of addressing systems of power in our world, in our society. But it starts with kindness. It starts with hospitality. It starts with, I have a place for you in my life right now in this moment. I want to give you that attention and that love. That is what should define a follower of Christ. Mother Teresa said, I see Jesus in every human being. I say to myself, this is hungry, Jesus. I must feed him. This is sick, Jesus. This one is leprosy or gangrene. I must wash him and tend to him. I serve because I love Jesus. What would it look like if everyone we came in contact with, we thought to ourselves, this is Jesus Christ. Okay, now as a result of this person being Jesus, how am I going to treat this person? Maybe this starts with when you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror. 
Do you see who you see? Do you see someone that you care about, someone that you love? I love this cartoon, David Hayward. He's called The Naked Pastor. He does some very honest cartoons. Jesus looks in the mirror. When you look in the mirror, you see the very spirit of God, the very heart of God. You are made in the image of God. Love what you see in the mirror. It's hard to love other people when we look in the mirror and we don't love what we see. Jesus Christ is love. God, the divine who permeates this universe, is love. So let's start by looking in the mirror and seeing Christ and love. I love that when Jesus met with his disciples the night before he died, he created this ritual as a way of, he knew how forgetful people can be. (laughs) So he created this ritual and he redefined what connection to the the divine meant. And so he said, every time you eat this bread, Every time you drink this wine or this juice, remember me. This was before he was killed and raised from the dead. Remember me. Remember what I've taught you. You are my students. So he took the bread. He said, this is my body broken for you. Every time you eat it, remember me. He took the wine. This is my blood poured out for you every time you drink. Remember me. Remember the way that I taught you. Lisa, would you help me serve? ground ourselves. You are a body. Your body is also spirit. So feel your body. Feel your breath. Allow your body to breathe because it knows how without your help. person of Jesus tells us that God is embodied. God is in the flesh. So know today that you are deeply loved, that the Spirit of God resides in your flesh and bones. hard, painful part of you, every wonderful, beautiful part of you, and see the person of Jesus in the mirror, and do the same when you look into the eyes of the people you come in contact with. God, may you be our peace and our strength, in Christ's name.
for being here. Go in peace. See you next week.